0: This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Good morning, ABC. Can we see the first video, please? This idea to create a race unlike any other race in the world and we thought it'd be interesting to have a race where nobody knows what to expect and
1: during that process they'd become a new person
0: there's a fire in everyone they have it in them and they need an outlet to prove they've got that fighting spirit
1: where I saw all ages all sizes and I thought to myself if they can do it I can do it
0: being a Spartan is about just going for it just be filled with that energy that fire
1: it's almost primal you kind of forget you're stuck behind that desk
0: i just want to prove that i can do it
1: i think for me it's brought back my faith in human nature a little bit
0: if i can do this i can handle anything you're not just out
1: there running for the heck of it you're out there running for a purpose i'm most excited about pretty much proving everybody wrong I'm going to give every single thing my best effort. The Spartans has given me that sense of family and community that nothing else has. There's a lot of fire in me as far as that being able to get this done. My name is Ryan Thomason. I'm losing my sight and my hearing I had a double mastectomy and lymph nodes taken out of my left arm
0: I weighed 696 pounds
1: I had gastric bypass surgery I'm homeless real people can do this not just major athletes
0: whether it's a cancer survivor it's a family that was all obese you know, It's just incredible people I did that I accomplished that and you were sitting at home watching TV just get up and do it live life to the fullest and live with passion life can knock me down but I'll get back up And I'll say you didn't hit me hard enough.
1: If I don't take advantage of these opportunities now, there may not be a chance that I get it again.
0: We did this and we did it together. Life is meant to be lived and experienced. And I'm just getting started. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Matthew. Matthew. And I'm reading from chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. It's the parable of the talents. The kingdom of God is like a man on his way abroad who summoned his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to a third one, each in proportion to his ability. Then he set out. The man who had received the five talents promptly went and traded with them and made five more. The man who had received two made two more in the same way. But the man had received one, went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now a long time after, the master of those servants came back and went through his accounts with them. The man had received the five talents, came forward bringing five more. Sir, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. Here are five more that I've made. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've shown you can be faithful in small things. I will trust you with greater. Come and join in your master's happiness. Next, the man with two talents came forward. Sir, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. Here are two more that I have made. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've shown you can be faithful in small things. I will trust you with greater. Come and join in your master's happiness. Last came forward the man who had the one talent. Sir, he said, I had heard that you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. So I was afraid, and I went off and hid your talent in the ground. Here it is. It was yours. You have it back. But his master answered him, You wicked and lazy servant. So you knew I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered. Well then, you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have recovered my capital with interest. So now take the talent from him and give it to the man who has the five talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have more than enough. But from the man who has not, even what he has will be taken away. As for this good for nothing servant, throw him out into darkness where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. This morning's word is on financial freedom. And you might think, well, that's an odd video to show if we're going to be talking about money. But the simple fact is this. Freedom cannot be given. It has to be fought for. Freedom in all its forms has to be fought for. Because if it's given by somebody, if I give you freedom, I can take freedom back from you. You have to secure it for yourself. Black Americans were not given freedom by the Civil War. They had to secure freedom for themselves. And it ran up until the 1960s before they began demonstrating and fighting for the freedom. And they're still fighting for their freedom even today. All oppressed people in the history of the world have had to free themselves. And financial freedom is important to us. And God wants you to achieve financial freedom. We sing a chorus, don't we? It was the freedom that Christ has set us free, no longer to be subject to the yoke of slavery. And yet, wherever I look, I see Christians enslaved. I see them slaved and in chains, particularly with regard to financial issues. And the simple fact is this. If our faith does not confer financial freedom on us, then our faith has failed. And I think the reason that we have a problem is that very often um, we're like people who buy a cookbook and we see a picture of a meal and we think, oh, we're going to make that meal. And we do our best and we end up with something that doesn't look a bit like the cookbook image. And you ask the person, well, did you follow the instructions? And they say, yeah, mostly. And did you use all the ingredients? And, well, there were some I missed out. That's why you didn't end up with the meal that you thought you were going to make. This is the cookbook of our life, Okay. Follow the instructions, you will end up with Christ-likeness. Don't follow the instructions and you won't. And the reason why a lot of people don't follow the instructions is because on the one hand, they might not know what the instructions are, or they might have been taught false instructions, and as a result, took a different route. The simple fact is this. God wants us to be financially free, because God wants us to be free. If you want to see what it's like not to be financially free, just look at a woman's face when she opens a gas bill that she can't pay you want to see fear, look on a kid's face when bailiffs come knocking at the door. you want to see anxiety, look at a young couple when they get a letter from their mortgage company telling them that their house is going to be repossessed. That's why this message is important. And I'm not saying you should become rich. If you want to become rich, great. That's not the issue. The issue is financial freedom, to be free from worry. You know, Jen and I, we never wanted to be rich, and we probably never will be. But you know what, from the first day we started working... We wanted to be financially free, and we are, because we've lived our lives in accordance with biblical principles. That's why we need to establish the biblical principles for our right attitude to wealth. But I'm aware there's a danger here, okay? Because, do you know what, you can talk about angels and demons and Israel and women until the cows come home. And some people might get a little bit upset, but by and large, it's out there, it's academic. You talk about money and you are talking about something close to everybody's heart. Whether you've got it or whether you ain't got it, it's an issue that's close to us. And that was brought home to me very powerfully, years ago, 30 years ago, when I worked in CAB as a debt counselor, and people would come to me and they had their problems, and I would tell them what to do to deal with their debts. And were they glad? You must be joking. They were as angry as could be. And I learned an important lesson. You can be successful in your career and yet fail in your finances. And I tell you what, if you have lived a life, okay, which is basically a lie, that is you've been living beyond your means for decades in some cases, the last thing you want to hear is the truth. The truth will set you free, but it's not nice to find out that actually the way you've been living your life has been false and has been wrong. The parable of the talents is interesting because it's actually about making money within about a hundred years of the parable being written down the church reinterpreted the word talent as an ability or skill and we've still got that definition but when jesus said the word talent he was talking about 80 pounds of silver okay which was equal in those days to about 20 years of a person's labor so in today's money a talent would be worth about half a million quid so he's giving a lot of money to his servants in this parable isn't he And I do find it interesting that Jesus is using a monetary term to describe a monetary return. I think the real meaning of the talent is this. It is the potential, the totality of all the things you are capable of doing in life, okay? And God expects you to actually produce something. And he gives a monetary value to some aspects of that. So don't just dismiss money as being worldly. It's not It's in the Bible Jesus talks about uh, love 62 times Talks about hell 15 times Talks about money 34 times So it was an issue that was important to him The other thing I need to add at this point is Do you know what? Sometimes preachers And I've done it myself Will stand up and they'll say God says this Or the Bible says this But do you know what? Every, every statement like that, there's a source of interpretation, okay? When I spoke about angels and demons, I told you, that was my interpretation. You should have known that because you would never have seen that or heard that anywhere else on planet Earth, okay? Some people believe the world was created in 4004 BC, and they say the Bible says it. No, it doesn't. It's their interpretation. Other people have a different interpretation. The origin and the source of this interpretation this morning is Dutch Calvinist Protestant Reformation teaching from the 16th century. And let me tell you this, in the whole history of the world, no teaching, no philosophy, no ideology has ever changed the planet as that teaching did. If they hadn't developed that teaching, 90% of you wouldn't be here today. There'd be no Industrial Revolution, no trains, no buses, no men on the moon. Population in the world wouldn't be 7 billion, it would be closer to 500 million. This teaching transformed the world in a way that was unimaginable at the time. We live in the world that they created. And it might be a bit odd for me to be talking about money when I'm not a businessman, okay? And I've never had a particular interest in in money. you know when you're in the presence of a businessman or woman, whatever the topic of conversation is, it always turns around to them making money. They just gravitate to it. Nothing wrong with that. That's just the way they, they are. Um, I'm not like that. I do have the mind of an investor, though. An investor is a person who sees something that is good, sees something that is valuable, and will actually snap that up before anybody else can get a chance to get it, because that thing of value has been overlooked. Overlooked. And oddly enough, that's how I got married. But that's another story. <laughs> I'll be paying for that later on today. Okay, then there's three parts of this morning's preach. And the first one is this. The risk of riches. The church has always had an ambivalent attitude towards money. And part of the reason is because of some of the stuff that Jesus said. Uh, Matthew, chapter 20, sorry, Matthew chapter 19, verse 24. Jesus says this. I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter, the, enter God's kingdom. It's the most extraordinary statement possible, isn't it? The first thing you say is, what? A camel? Why a camel? Why not a goat or a dog or something less strange? About 150 years ago, some idiot said that the eye of the needle was actually a little door in the wall surrounding Jerusalem. And that to get a camel through, you had to get it to go down on its knees and go through the tunnel like that. And everybody went, oh, yes, this is wise teaching, oh, Rabbi. um, Because you're saying that... Rich men have to bow down before they can get into the kingdom of God. What a Lord, a nonsense. There was no little gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle in Jesus' day. There is now because they renamed a few gates after the parable. Cyril of Alexander, I'm sure you know him very well, died in 444 AD. He gave the answer 1,600 years ago. He said gamela is an Aramaic word for a rope used on a fishing vessel. And somebody, he said, had translated it wrongly as camel. And it makes perfect sense. He's talking primarily to fishermen, okay? And yet 1,600 years later, our Bible still has the word camel in it. But the meaning is still the same. Jesus is saying it's impossible for rich people to get to heaven. And the disciples say, well, who can get to heaven? And Jesus says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. You've got to understand the teaching in the context in which it was given. The Jews believed at that time that if you were rich, it was because God had blessed you. Therefore, you were guaranteed a place in heaven. And Jesus is saying, just because you're rich don't mean you're going to get into the kingdom of God. The only way you're going to get into the kingdom of God is through God. He's talking about grace. Not works. And all of the things that Jesus says about rich people has to be seen in that context. He's basically just saying this. Look, you're dependent on me. Money is actually irrelevant in terms of salvation in that aspect. The big problem, I think, with money is this. You can end up loving it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, The love of money is the root of all evil. That's quite a comprehensive statement, isn't it? And wealth can be dangerous. Wealth can damage you spiritually and morally. The big problem with wealth is this. It can make you think that you're a better person than other people who have less money. It can lead to arrogance. okay? And in other people, it can lead to envy. And then if you've got love of money, it can lead to greed. So you've got three big powerful sins there going in one way. So money can be dangerous because money is power. And we all know that. Money can Do things and buy things that nothing else can do. And you can get that wrong. And if your heart is wrong, it doesn't matter how much money you've got. You'll get it wrong. You can love money and not have any. You can have loads of money and not love it. And we'll see some examples of that now in a minute. There is another issue as well. Christians often say, and this was told me when I was a teenager, you know, there's no point... Investing. There's no point in getting an education. There's no point in getting a career because the world's going to end. I remember saying to people, I want to go to university. And they said, what's the point here? Look at what's happening in the Middle East. Look at Henry Kissinger. He's the Antichrist. It's absolutely certain Jesus will come back before 1980. Some people believe that nonsense. And where are they now? I didn't believe it because I'm not terribly trusting what people say. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, answered this question. He believed he was living in the last days. But he said this, If I know for certain that tomorrow morning the world will end, today I would still plant my apple tree. He realized that the reward is not for the outcome, it's for the way you use your time and your talents. Okay? And people, Christians, good men and women, have buried their lives because of false teaching. You know, the one thing you can never get back is time. Once today is gone, it's gone. You can make friends, lose friends, and make them again. You can make money, lose money, and make money again. You will never get back the time you lose. So many people bury their time in the ground, and it's gone. And there's a level of accountability that flows from that because the time you have been given, and you don't know how much time you or I have got, that time has been given by God. And he expects us to use it productively. God, and this is Martin Luther's teacher, God is to be found in the labor of working people. He said that the woman who milked the cow and the farmer who made the food and the, the woodman who chopped down the wood, he said these are the masks of God. This is how God reveals himself in the world. Let me give you a very simple example of that. At this moment, there is a shoulder of Welsh lamb sitting in a roasting tin in our oven, surrounded by potatoes picked from our garden and parsnips that we bought. It's fresh lamb. It's never been frozen. Okay. When we get home, Jen will boil up some peas and some sprouts and some spinach. And then from the, 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 the juices of the meat, we'll make a gravy. I tell you now, I can taste it. <laughs> it is the most delicious meal I will ever have. Okay, and we have it every week. It is awesome. It, it is part and parcel of the richness of life. God was in the farmer providing me with a wonderful meal today. And I will enjoy that to the full. That shoulder of Welsh lamb costs eight quid. And some of you might say, that's a lot of money for meat. Do you know what? Some people know the value of everything, sorry, the price of everything and the value of nothing, right? The same people say eight quid's a lot for a piece of meat, which will make a meal for four people. Guess what? They're the same kind of people that happily spend ten quid on two McDonald's Happy Meals, which is just flavored cardboard. That's all it is. One of the risks of riches is that you'll never experience the richness of life. God is to be found in the labor of people. Okay? And we live in West Wales. We're surrounded by some of the best farmland in Europe. And the farmer will work and produce the food that should fill us with joy. And so many of you eat processed foods manufactured in factories with bits of meat filled with antibiotics, and your taste buds will die, and you will never know what it is like to actually say, thank you, God, for this meal. It's a tragedy. Absolute tragedy. The other thing as well. The key to wealth is work, but do you know what? The experience of rejection can make Christians sometimes just give up looking for work, and that is that is a constant problem. It, it happened to me at one time as well. Look at the example of Joseph. The blessing and the favor of God was upon him, but he had a roller coaster ride. Um, some people saw the favor of God and promoted him. Some people saw the favor of God and demoted him. Okay. And that might be your experience, but guess what? You're salt and light, okay? I'm assuming now that you're a good Christian, not a bad one. You're salt and light, okay? If you, don't, if you go for a job and you don't get it, it is because that that place is dark and rotten, okay? And sometimes, right, rejection can be protection, okay? I remember 30 years ago going for a job I was eminently suited for. I didn't get it. And whenever things don't work out in my life, I always look up the ceiling and say, yeah, right, okay, what? You know? questioning God as to what had happened and why it had happened. and A friend of mine said, you know, quite truthfully, look, if if you didn't get that, it's because God's got something better for you. Easy to say, but difficult to live with at the time. Anyway, I went into the probation service. Six years later, a pre-sentence report is requested of me for Crown Court. And it lands on my desk. And the name on the top of the page, the manager who turned me down. And the other report was on the guy that she appointed, who was a friend of hers. I didn't get the job. Why? Because God knew that that was an unrighteous place. And I would have been actually in some way involved in that fraud. He saw the bullet coming and he pushed me aside so that I could dodge it. Rejection can sometimes be protection. Okay, so don't get downhearted if you don't find work. First time, second time, third time. Just keep on looking. Sometimes you've got to move as well. Um, Genesis chapter twenty six verse twenty verse two. Isaac had to move three times before he could find a place where he could dig a well to water his flocks. You might have to move. We are sojourners. We are travellers. Okay, half my family and half Jen's family went to the states in the 1880s. Why? Because there was an agricultural slump in the Ask Valley, and they had to go there to find work. You might have to move. The job might not come to you. So what? It's how the faith spreads. It's what we do. Go to where the work is. The work isn't going to come to you. Those are the risks of riches. Second part is this, the reformation, revelation. Do you know what? The Roman Catholic Church has always taught that poverty is next to godliness. I've always found that a bit of an odd teaching, really, because, you know, you're talking about uh, Catholic princes living in palaces surrounded by gold and silver and waited on by servants. And they're telling the peasants they should be poor, to be next to God. I don't know. There's something a bit dodgy about that. Anyway, the Dutch in the 16th century, when they finally got hold of the Bible in their own language, sat down and asked the question that you and I have to ask. What is God saying to this generation? And they wanted to know what God was saying to them. And there were three key scriptures that reorientated the Reformation and changed, first of all, Holland, and then Britain, and then the rest of the world. And these are the three scriptures that they relied upon. The first is this, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 to 18. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But Yahweh your God, but remember Yahweh your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers, as it is today. The second scripture is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 15. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we commend you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying it. On the contrary, we worked night and day laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man does not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And the third scripture was 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-7. to We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. At a severe trial, their joy and poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even more. They pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Those three bits of teaching led to these conclusions among the Dutch Protestants. One. The conferring of wealth Is the confirmation of the covenant Two, idleness is a sin And thirdly, generosity is obligatory They added a fourth point And this was to avoid the sin of envy Frugality is also an obligation It's why they started wearing Protestant black Because it was the cheapest cloth It's why they started building houses with plain facades It's why they didn't go around decked out in jewels and gold and silver 120 years later, John Wesley summed it up in a little catchphrase. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Now, let me illustrate the problem that arose from this teaching. Imagine for a moment that I am a Dutch weaver, okay? Called Jan, we'll say, okay? Which oddly enough is one free. So there we are. I work hard. God is in my labor. I work really hard. And I make money and I employ people. And I've got a little business going. But there comes a point where I'm making more money than I know what to do with. Now, when I was a Catholic, I'd buy gold and silver and do a Gollum impersonation and say, My precious, but I can't do that now because gold and silver are idle. They don't produce any labor. So I could give it away. You know, there might be somebody in in our church, somebody perhaps called like Mark Van Watkins, and um, I might give him my money. But what's he going to do then? He's just going to give up his job and play golf all day. They did have golf in those days, but perhaps not in Holland. It was in Scotland. So guess what? I've sinned twice. Not only is my money idle, but now I've created idleness in my brother. So I can't do that. In fact, there might be a bunch of people in the church who are just like me. We've got money, and we don't know what to do with it. Aha, but there is a savior on the horizon. There's a young man in our church. Let's call him Dan Van something and uh, he 's a carpenter, and he has a plan he has a vision. he wants to build a boat and go to India and buy spices and bring them back to Holland and make money, but guess what he can 't because he hasn 't got any money. So what do we do as a company of believers, the older men in the church? We get together and we say look let 's make a covenant with you okay we 'll each put in a share of the money you need, right so you can go and get into business, and so he gets the money and he, he builds his ships. And he makes money and then he buys more ships. He ends up with a fleet. But at some point, he has to take a profit. But he doesn't own the profit. He has to divide the profit up among the people who put money into his business. Do you know what I've just done? I've just invented capitalism. The company, the share, the dividend. There'd been businesses before. There'd been enterprises before. This is the first time those three features came into being. And they came into being because the Dutch didn't want to sin. And the result, the world was transformed. The most successful company there's ever been is the first one ever founded, the Dutch East India Company. It ran for 200 years. It made 25% profit every year for 200 years. Where did the Industrial Revolution come from? A bunch of guys in Oxford decided to invent a steam engine? No. Baptist lay preacher in Devon, making his money selling tools to the miners in Cornwall. And guess what? He was going to go out of business because the mines were flooding. So he went home and he the steam engine. His name was Thomas Newcomen. It was 1712. He got the funding for the business that he started, making steam engines from his church, from a company of believers. You can come right forward to the times now. People like uh, Steve Jobs and Zuckerberg. Look at the crowdfunding that goes on. The big problem with the world from the beginning has always been this. Young men in particular have the vision, the ambition, and the energy. They don't have the money. Old men have the money, and in times past, and in other cultures, old men just turned it into gold and silver and kept it in a storehouse. The Reformation allowed old men to pass money to young men, and they created wealth. God confirms the covenant by conferring wealth upon the labors of people. That is where the modern world comes from. And that was invented by the Dutch 400 years ago. In the 19th century, the Catholics in Germany were upset because German Catholics were poor, and Protestant Catholics were rich. They hired a sociologist called Marx Weber, and they asked him to do an inquiry into why is this. And this is a seminal work. If you study economics, sociology, politics at university, this is one of the first texts you'll read. It's called The Protestant Work Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism, published in 1905. He said this, A glance at the occupation statistics of any country of mixed religious composition brings to light with remarkable frequency a situation which has several times provoked anxious discussion in the Catholic press, namely that business leaders, as well as the higher grades of skilled labor, and even more the higher technically and commercially trained personnel of modern enterprises are overwhelmingly Protestant. Look at Jesus, he's a carpenter. John, Andrew, Peter, fisherman. Paul, a sailmaker. This has been the history of our faith from the beginning. Martin Luther, the son of a miner. Calvin, the son of a lawyer. It's that artisan class. Karl Marx called it the revolutionary class. It's the people who change the world because they're the ones who labor and make things happen. And it's extraordinary. When you actually look at the richest men in human history, who are they? Gangsters? Drug dealers? Kings? Princes? No. They all have these things in common. They're all Protestant Christians. They all tithe. Three of them began with nothing. They're all American, and they're all of British and Dutch descent. J.D. Rockefeller, richest man who's ever lived, okay? Brought up by a single parent, just brought up by his mum. They had no money. He used to make money selling eggs from his chickens. And then he went into the grocery business. Tithed from day one as a 14-year-old. Becomes a bookkeeper. Realizes that whale oil, which is used in lamps, was three times more expensive than kerosene being made from an oil well in Pennsylvania. So what does he do? He gets his money together. He goes into business with somebody else. They buy the oil well. He buys up every oil well in America. And then it looks as if he's going to go bust because somebody invents the electric light and nobody's going to be using oil lamps anymore. And what happened? At the same time, somebody invented the car. And within 10 years, he was worth a billion dollars. The richest man who's ever lived. If his wealth was updated to our money today, he would be worth a trillion dollars. And yet here's a man who every Sunday taught Sunday school in his little Baptist church. He gave all his money away towards the end of his life. Okay? an extraordinary guy second richest guy in human history scotsman again who made his money in america carnegie presbyterian scottish exactly the same history the same process third richest henry ford episcopalian or anglican again of english descent fourth richest Cornelius Vanderbilt, Moravian Dutch. Moravian Church, the oldest Protestant church in the world. Fifth richest, John Astor, Calvinist, English descent. Sixth richest, J.P. Morgan, Episcopalian, Anglican, of Welsh descent. Nobody on earth today has the money that they made, okay? There are 1,800 billionaires in the world. They're worth $7 trillion. These six people, with their money updated to today's values, would be worth $7 trillion. God confirmed the covenant by conferring wealth. And they all tithed, and they all were faithful Christians, and they all served in the church. It's just the confirmation of the word of God in reality. So finally, the third part. How do we apply this to our lives? This bit is called Righteous Riches. Do You know, most teaching on prosperity, right, is either shortcut preaching. How can I get rich without actually working? Or it's... um, What should I say? Band-Aid preaching. How can I avoid my debts without actually having to pay them off? But God actually says you have to work and you shouldn't get into debt. So, you know, neither of those routes will actually lead to genuine wealth. Um, What does it say in Romans chapter 13, verse 8? Do not get into debt except the mutual debt of love. And if you're in debt, well, it's because you've been spending more than you earn. It's as simple as that. And guess what? They're your debts. They're not my debts. They're nobody else's debts. You're going to have to pay them off. It's as simple as that. And the weird thing is, how many Christians appear wealthy and aren't? guy I used to know, a friend of mine, right? He appeared very wealthy. He didn't follow the frugal rule of life, okay? Because his wife had an S-Class Mercedes and he had a big Jaguar XKR and he had a big house and jacuzzi and all the rest of it. But he had a business and I thought, well, he's just making money. And then his business went bust. And it turned out everything was on lease and loan. And he lost everything. You know, he followed the first part of John's Wesley instruction to gain as much as you can. He didn't follow the second bit to save as much as you can. And he lost it all. And I thought, it's really sad, you know. But guess what? It was predictable. In the end, that's the way things are going to work out. To follow this teaching, okay, you've got to understand this. The value of anything, nothing has an inherent worth. The value of everything is determined by what people are prepared to pay for it. You might think your house is worth half a million quid or a 100,000 quid. It's not actually worth anything. It's worth what people are prepared to pay for it. The value that God put on your life was the life of his son, which is beyond price. So therefore, he sees in you a value, okay? We're living in the Western world in the 21st century. We've each been given five talents, okay? If I was speaking this in this church in the 30s, we had limited opportunities. We'd each have been given one talent. If you're living in certain parts of the world today, you've been given one talent. Your opportunities are few. Our opportunities are <laughs> immense. God has given us a lot. So guess what? Invest in yourself particularly young people of the church. Invest in an education above all else that will lead to a career that you will love. And use the advice of the church. If you're interested in going into business, have a word with uh, Mike or Phil. They're both successful businessmen. If you're interested in going into finance, have a word with Mark. That's where he works. If you're interested in going into uh, mechanical or civil engineering, have a word with Roy. That's where he works. If you're interested in going into medicine, have a word with Chris. Chris. If you're interested in going into teaching, have a word with Jen. She was a teacher for 33 years. And if you're interested in going into probation, come and see me, and I will introduce you to a psychiatrist, because you need your head looked at. Seriously, what is wrong with you? Why can't you get a proper job in life? There is a direct correlation between the level of education that you invest in yourself and the income you get, okay? recent study has just been done. This is in the paper two weeks ago. Women graduates earn three times as much as their female counterparts who didn't go to university. Men earn double what their colleagues earn if they didn't go to university. So as much as you invest in yourself, there's going to be a reward that comes from that. And it's interesting, if you look at like starting wages for jobs, you can see this correlation with one exception. Um, you know, there's loads of jobs where it's difficult to actually evaluate how much you'd earn. If you're a business person, you might earn nothing for years because you're reinvesting your money in your business. And if you're self-employed, like uh, if you're a plumber, you'll earn three times as much in London as you would in, in West Wales. But looking at jobs around the country, you know, you see this correlation. Care workers, teaching assistants, start off on 13,000. And they buy and large stay on 13,000. There's not a lot of progression there. Soldiers start off on 18,000. Social worker, 20,000. Teacher, twenty two thousand. Police officer, twenty three yes, twenty three thousand. Doctor this is an odd one, this is they start off on twenty three thousand, but they automatically get a fifty percent pay rise for working and social hours. So actually they start off on thirty five grand. And the highest paid starting wage of any worker in Britain, yes, you knew it, didn't you? Probation officer, twenty eight grand. I knew there was a reason I joined that service. Your career, however, has to be a blessing not a curse to other people okay um i know with our kids we said to them we'll support you in anything you want to do sport ballet you name it okay but if you don't know what to do become a teacher which might be regarded as damning an entire profession with faint praise but my feeling was this it's a blessing it's a, it's it's the most profound job you can actually have tens of thousands of kids passed through Jen's life okay, and she profoundly influenced them and my daughter took my advice and finally, eventually, like most boys are the son is finally getting there as well and you'll never be without a work you'll never be without a job you might have to move around but guess what, every year now for the next 10 years there are 80,000 new school places needed in this country okay? so guess what, you go into teaching, you will find work and if you're an English teacher, you'll get a job anywhere in the world, okay So you'll never be without a job. But i tell you this. God can only confirm the covenant if you're in covenant with other people. When you have a contract with your employer or with a client or with a customer, you are actually showing the level of commitment to your covenant to God. The way you treat people is the way you treat God. So if you're a businessman or woman, you have a reputation for cheating and dodgy dealing. Or are you seen as an upright person? If you sell products, are you selling rubbish, selling a lie? Or is the product good and the profit reasonable? If you're offering a service, is your service good, poor, excellent, abysmal, with a smile, or with a frown? Because if you just pursue money, guess what? You'll just end up loving money. But if you seek to reveal God in the world by the things you do, then God will confirm his covenant with you. Not by giving you vast amounts of money, although that's possible, but by giving you financial freedom so you don't have to worry. Jesus said this, or Paul said this, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24. Whatever your work is, put your heart into it, as if you were doing it for the Lord and not for people, knowing that the Lord will repay you by making you his heirs. It is Christ the Lord that you are serving in whatever you do. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40 says this, As you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. You've got to have that understanding when it comes to your work and it comes to your labor. Second thing you need to do, invest in your future. Save 10% of your income for the day when you won't be able to earn. Particularly important in this time and era. Why? Because the whole of the state and the welfare system is collapsing. We've got too many debts. Too many people are taking stuff out. Too few people are putting it in. So you need to prepare for the day where you will not earn, okay? And like I said, Jen and I have never wanted to be rich. But from day one when we started working as 19-year-olds, guess what? We looked forward to the day that we'd retire so that we'd have financial freedom. And God blessed us in that. When my kid, my daughter started working as a teacher eight years ago, her take-home pay was 1,300 quid a month. And I told her, save 300 quid a month. I told her what fund to put it in, put it within an ISA so she doesn't have to pay tax. If she'd been buying a house or saving for a house, that would have been different. I'd have said invest in the house because the house can be both a home and an investment. But she didn't need a home at that time. She's done it. And the reason she's done it is this, because she wants to retire when she's 60. But she's not gonna get a work pension or a state pension until she's 68, okay? But she's looking ahead, and that's the thing that she should do. And that's the thing that you need to do as well. Investments cannot be idle. No gold, no silver. You put money into a building society, you're helping somebody else buy a house. Put money into a bank, guess what? You're helping businesses thrive. Buy a share, invest in corporate bonds, invest in a fund. The money is going to go into a company. You're making people work. It's labor that creates wealth, and money is just the means to do that. And finally, invest in the kingdom of God tie the tenth of your income to the church malachi chapter 3 verse 8 to 12 says this will a man rob god yet you rob me but you ask how do we rob you In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says Yahweh Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not lose their fruit, says Yahweh God Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land says Yahweh Almighty. Isn't that what we created in Northern Europe and in America and in other countries in the world where we adopted this Dutch Reformation teaching? Didn't God bless us and hasn't God blessed us? The richest part of the Roman Empire used to be the Middle East. Look at the Middle East. One of the richest countries in the world should be Iraq. They own 25% of the world's oil. It's one of the poorest nations on earth. One of the poorest nations on earth should be Switzerland because they've got nothing. No natural resources. Even their land isn't terribly good at farming. And yet they're the richest country on earth because they adopted this teaching. I just want to end with this. How bad do you want financial freedom? Because do you know what? You will hear voices in the church and outside of the church telling you to bury your life in the dirt. When we joined a church in Swansea 20 odd years ago I didn't know this at the time but people came to Jen and said you shouldn't be working as a teacher you should be at home looking after your kids fine when the kids are preschool somebody should be there I don't think you can leave them on their own Uh, could be the mum, could be the dad could be granny, could be granddad. Okay, but when the kids go to school guess what, you're free for a time they wanted her to bury her talent in the ground so that she couldn't be a blessing to thousands of kids okay and guess what? There will be voices saying that to you. For young men, probably the best way to bury your talent is to go to Bible college. Bible college is a cul de sac of the faith. Nothing good has ever come out of them, seriously. But you might say to me, Ian, God's called me to be an apostle. Amen, brother. Do what the apostles did and get a job. Jesus was a carpenter. John and Andrew and Peter were businessmen. Paul. Mended sails and made tents, okay? That's always been the way of our faith. I tell you what, if all the Bible colleges in Britain closed down, there'd be a revival. There really would. Because that's when power goes to the people. Yeah, but I want to study theology. Well, that's what the church is there for, for goodness sake. Isn't this the place where we debate and discuss the faith by people who are living out the faith day by day with their real problems? Why would you want to go to Bible college and do that? The church is meant to equip the saints for works of service. We've lost that understanding. And again, in Wales there is a negative, pessimistic culture that says, don't bother, give up. Okay? But the word of God is this: He's given you a talent. What are you going to do with it? How bad do you want financial freedom? Because if you want it, it is a struggle, it is hard work, it is not easy but it's worth having we'll finish with this video
1: it was a young man who you know he wanted to make a lot of money and so he went to this guru right And he told the guru you know I want to be on the same level you are and so the guru said if you want to be on the same level I'm on I'll meet you tomorrow at the beach He already rock and roll, got on a suit, he should have worn shorts. The old man grabs his hand and said, how bad do you want to be successful? He said, real bad. He said, walk on out in the water. So he walks out into the water. Watch this. When he walks out into the water, it goes waist deep. So he like, this guy crazy. I- hey, like, I want to make money. He got me out here swimming. I didn't ask to be a lifeguard. I want to make money. He got me in. So he said, come out a little further. Walked out a little further. Then he had it right around this area shoulder area so this old man crazy he making money but he crazy he said come on out a little further came out a little further it was right at his mouth my man like i'm about to go back in here this god is mine so the old man said i thought you said you wanted to be successful he said i do he said walk a little further he came dropped his head in held him down holding down my man didn't scratch it holding him down he had him held down just before my man was about to pass out he raised him up he said, I got a question for you. He told the guy, he said, when you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, then you'll be successful. I don't know how many of y'all got asthma in here today, but if you ever had an asthma attack before, you short of breath, SOB, shortness of breath, you wheezing. The only thing you're trying to do is get some air. You don't care about no basketball game You don't want it badder than you want to party. You don't want it as much as you want to be cool. You, most of you don't want success as much as you want to sleep. Some of you lost sleep more than you lost success. And I'm here to tell you today, if you're going to be successful, you've got to be willing to give up sleep. If you really want to be successful, some days you're going to have to stay up three days in a row. Because if you go to sleep, you might miss the opportunity to be successful. That's how bad you got to it. You gotta go days without, listen to me, you gotta wanna be successful so bad that you forget to eat. Beyonce said once she was on the set doing her thing, three days had gone by, she forgot she didn't eat because she was engaged. Don't cry to quit. You already in pain, you already hurt, get a reward from it. Don't go to sleep until you succeed. Listen to me, I'm here to tell you today that you can come here, you can jump up, you can do flips, you can be excited when we give away money, but listen to me, you will never be successful until I don't have to give you a dime to do what you do. You won't be successful until you say, I don't need that money, because I got in here.